And this morning, we're going to talk about mourning. See, a couple weeks ago, we, we get to this place, and Jesus said, Blessed are those who, who are broken, who are impoverished in spirit. They're poor in spirit, because when you're poor in spirit, you receive the kingdom of heaven. Literally, what he says is, if you don't know that you're impoverished in spirit, you, you can't receive me. And, and it's only when you come broken that, that you can receive me. And it's only when you don't come in pride and arrogance and, hey, I'm okay, I'm all good, that you can receive me. And so we come to today and he says this. It's right at the place in his ministry where his ministry is really growing. And, and he has a few thousand people and it's really at the start of his public ministry. And here's what he says. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. And, and literally, when he says, blessed are those who mourn, what he's saying is, I, I approve of, I give approval to, I greatly approve of those who mourn. And see, here's the thing. You and I don't like to mourn. Um, we don't like to mourn until mourning comes to us. In fact, most of us spend most of our time trying to not talk. It's like uh, when, when your child says something about, oh, wow, Dad, you're getting so old, you're going to die soon. Or, you know, and, and Mom's like, don't say that. Have you been there? Where we don't even want to talk about that, even though we all know that's coming eventually. And the child is simply stating something that's obvious. And, but don't say that. We, and you and I, we talk about mourning, and we want to stay as far away from mourning as possible. Because mourning means pain, mourning means loss, mourning means. And, and Jesus, the, the second statement he makes on his big opening, big opening teaching with thousands of people is blessed are those. I approve of those who mourn. And so we want to talk about that. Ecclesiastes, back in Solomon's day, Solomon was a king who had as much as any king or any person's ever had and had as much pleasure as the world knew at the time and as much stuff as the world knew at the time and as much as the world knew at the time. And here's what he says. Because he could have had a house of great pleasure and great splendor and and great mourning. And here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 7. He says, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. He says, There's wisdom where there's mourning. There's foolishness where there's pleasure. And you and I, and especially, now track with me here just for a second. If you're in junior high or high school and you're sitting right here, I'm glad you are because here's the deal, guys. Um, like the language of life that we do, we want to go to something that's fun, right? Are you going to go to something that's lame? Not twice, right? <laughs> right? Which is why you're here this morning, right? It's the first time. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> check this out. Uh, because you might find that you spend your whole life running after the happy event, and, and you miss huge portions of what God had for you. And, and so Jesus, you know, it, as hard as this is, it might sound like old people could track with this better than you can, but try and tear into this just a bit because here's what Solomon, the wisest man who ever, he had everything, every pleasure, everything that MTV ever wished they could say, he had it, and he said there's wisdom in the house of mourning. And fools dance after pleasure. And so, 
It's not, that, uh, it's not that we mourn all the time, but he's saying something. And Jesus says the same thing. He says, I approve of those who mourn. Now, mourning is this. It's, uh, it's more than just grieving. Being sad or what, grieving, feeling bad, it, it's more than that. Mourning is kind of the whole event. Some of you have been through this in your family. You lost a parent, you lost a child, and mourning encompasses not just the emotion, but the event that for us as a culture, the way we do it, we do the dark clothes, we do the, the calling hours in a certain way, people come over in a certain way, we grieve in a certain way. And mourning kind of encompasses all of that, but, but Jesus here, he's talking about man, a lifestyle of mourning about the right things. And if this is your first time here, I want you to know that, um, that this isn't every statement, but we love Jesus and we love his word and what he said. And so we want to dive fully into what he said. And so every morning doesn't feel exactly like this, but we're willing to have this morning feel this way. Because he says, I approve of those who mourn. So what do we mourn about? We mourn about per- personal loss. Um, my mother-in-law died a couple years ago, and we had, my mother-in-law is older. My wife's adopted, and Florence was almost 91 when she died. And I kind of planned on Crystal eventually having to say goodbye to her mom and that mourning process. What I didn't know is that it would, that it would just suck the life out of it. It would just take the wind out of my sails for a year or two. It just, and some of you have been through that. You've lost somebody and it just, it just hurts, you know? And stuff goes on around and, and sometimes it felt like the more I engaged with it, the more I grieved specifically, um, the, more, the more I found God in that. And sometimes it just felt like it was just, an, it was just painful, Some of you know that. Some of you know that with divorce. Some of you know that with loss of a loved one. And and here's the thing. Usually you and I, we don't want to go there until it comes to us. And Jesus says, go there. Know how to mourn because I approve of those who do. So we we mourn. There's stuff that comes to us. Um, C.S. Lewis, he wrote that the question to him is not like, God, are you alive? Is there really a God? That didn't become the question to him. The question was even, he said, it's even worse than that. He said, the question, when I went through mourning, he says, the question is not, God, are you alive? Are you real? He said, the question is even worse. It's, God, is this, is this what you're like? Is this what you're like? I mean, I know you and trust you, and, and this is what you give me? Is this what you're like? And some of you, some of you know that all too well, that question. And Jesus, he invites us in. Because here's the thing, even if you don't say that question out loud, you've got that question in your heart. And it's only in coming to him with your mourning, with how you feel, your brokenness, it's only in coming to him that that you're really going to be able to see him show up, and we're going to see that in a minute. We also mourn generally for, for sin. Um, God says that he created us without sin, and Adam and Eve were without sin, and there was perfect unity between them and the Father, and there was no shame, 
and there was no sin. And the Bible says that after the fall, after sin entered the world, not only was there death and conflict between us, we had to hide our nakedness because of shame, and not only all of that, but he says the earth literally groans for God to fix it. The earth literally didn't before, and after sin, the the earth is falling apart, and it groans. And it shows up in who we are. It shows up on our headlines. It shows up in natural disasters. It shows up that all of creation is groaning and falling apart and fighting at odds with each other. And, And there's a piece of this that Jesus calls us to mourn for. He says, I approve of those who mourn. How do you mourn? Um, unfortunately, the, the church many times, uh, Christians many times, they, they mourn like this. They're like, oh, God, those people. Oh, God, this nation. Man, what have they done with this country? And do you catch the blaming in that? Do you catch the arrogance and the pride in that? Instead of being the kind of man or woman who says, man, God, our country, would you forgive us? Mourning for the sin of our nation, of our culture, of our walking away from from God and into our own desires, of the way we continue to push forward into immorality just further and further and younger and younger and more and more public and God, forgive us. The statistics are haunting, aren't they? Every nine minutes, somebody here in Utah gets raped. Every 9.47 minutes. That means since you got out of your car to be here, probably statistically three or four people have been raped. 16,000 homeless here in Utah. About 10-ish thousand people die every day from drugstore preventable diseases around our world. And we drive past Walgreens and we're just hoping it's open when we need it to be open. And and inside Walgreens and Rite Aid is the kind of stuff that could save millions of people if we could just figure out how to get it to them. 4% of the population owns 60% of the capital of the entire planet. And as one of those 4%, there's something that's just not right about that. Because what if I was part of the 96 And there's so much to grieve and to mourn and to say, oh God, how long would you restore it? And see, here's what happens. When I come to God with this and with a heavy heart, I I don't know how to fix these things. And Jesus says, come to me, mourn these things. Now, the other option is for you to be the kind of person that, man, you're about sports center and your job and the steakhouse on Friday night and I'm good. Jesus said, I approve of those who mourn about the right things. The other thing to mourn about is our our personal sin. My personal lostness, okay? You see, here, maybe you've had this experience. The the further you walk with Christ, it's amazing to look in the rearview mirror, isn't it? It's amazing to, to walk with Jesus in such a way where I look back and I'm like, I am not as much of a complete, as I was before. And that's amazing that God did that, that he's grown me and shaped me. 
But then today, I look in the mirror of the word and I spend time with him and I'm like, oh my God, my sin. And I see it somehow so much more clearly. And I'm not convinced that I'm righter and holier. I actually, in the presence of God, I, I see how much more there is between me and him and how amazing his grace is and his love is for me. And it gives me life and it gives me hope, but I, man, I come and I mourn and say, oh God, forgive me. The Apostle Paul, he, he said, the stuff that I want to do, I, I, I just don't do it. And the stuff that I, I know I don't want to do, I end up doing it. And he says, just wicked, wretched man that I am. Who's going to save me from this? Thank you, Jesus, that you saved me. But God, the closer I get to you, the, re- the farther I realize that your grace is covered. And there is mourning that is right when I stand before God. If I stand before the Holy God, if I look at his scriptures and I'm like, hey, I'm doing pretty good. No, you're not. And stand before him in humility and say, oh, thank you, Jesus. You are amazing. I'm not amazing. You're amazing. And the stuff that you've done in me is great. Because here's the thing. God, he believes in who he wants to make you so much more than you even do. He wants to do more with you than you could ever imagine. He wants to make you more in his likeness than you could ever dream of. But it doesn't come through being proud and touting how amazing you are. It comes through the exact opposite, through mourning. So the reason that he calls us to mourn He says, I approve of those who mourn. And the the outcome of that, or the reason that he wants us to do that, the reason he approves of that, is he says, for they will be comforted. You see, here's the thing. Just like being poor in spirit, being poor in spirit, if you're prideful in spirit, there's no room for God to show up. I'm good. Have you ever watched someone go through the pain, the, the loss of a child or the loss of a parent. And, and everyone around is watching and, and they know that this person should be devastated. And, and you're looking at them and they say, no, I, I'm, I'm good, man. Let's, uh, let's just get back to life as usual, right? No, I'm fine. I don't need any help. What do you know about them? You're a train wreck. Man, let someone in. Be honest about what's going on because... If really you feel nothing, if really you're not mourning, that's an even bigger problem. The mourning shows the emotional brokenness. The mourning is a sign that, man, there's, there's an ability to receive here. And Jesus says, he said, blessed are those who are mourning because I can comfort them. They will be comforted. You see, if you're never in mourning, you'll never receive comfort from God. Why? Because you won't need it. You can comfort yourself. I can get busy and work. I'm going to redecorate the house. I'm going to paint. We're going to take care of all this stuff, and we're going we're to deal with all the details here, and then I am just, you know, we're going to do something different. We're going to move. We're gonna, I'm going to build something new. I, I'm going to start a new job. And you just drowned it in. Go. And Jesus says, walk in it and let me comfort you. Don't comfort yourself. Do you know that God, his name is comfort? Literally, Jesus says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. 
his name is the comforter. That it's, the, it's who he is. It's not a description of what he does. It's his name. It's who he is as the comforter. And, and Jesus literally says, he says, we could, I could be here on earth. He says, I could be here on earth right next to you, standing right next to you, and that would not be as good as having the Holy Spirit come into you. Because God's word says when you believe in him, he comes and he lives in you. He takes up residence. You become the temple of God because God lives in you and makes you a new creation. And the Holy Spirit lives in you to comfort you and to teach you and to remind you of all the things that Jesus said and has done in your life. And he says, I want to comfort you. In 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, Paul says that there are people who go through life and grieving happens to them. Bad circumstances happen to them. And the only way they have to grieve is they grieve as the world does, which leads to death because it's hopeless. Have you ever walked with someone who they were going through the same, maybe it's even in your family. Someone dies in your family and you watch, you watch someone else grieving and you know they, they don't know if there's life after this. They don't know if there's a God. They, and you have peace in knowing that there's a hope and a future. And they are just, life is over. And I want to run from it, or, but I can't see through it. And there's no comfort. There is no comforting someone who will never again see someone they love. There is no comforting someone who has no idea what waits for them beyond death. And Paul says, those who grieve like that grieve unto death. He said, but we have the hope of Christ. We grieve those things as unto life with the hope of the resurrection. C.S. Lewis says this. He said, the real problem is as we grieve and as we go into that morning, he says, I realized that my relationship with God was like a house of cards that I had built up. And I built up this house of cards. And he said, when his wife died, it was like the wind blew and the cards came down. And he realized that his whole faith in God was based on his perception of what was comfortable for him and good for him. And he said, so what should I do? Should I just rebuild another house of cards? Should I simply restack the cards up until another wind blows and knocks them over? And he says, I'm not going to do that. And for you and I, as we come here today, we have the opportunity to say, God, I don't understand this whole mourning thing, but I, I want to step into it. I want to walk into what it means to mourn for my city, for Salt Lake. I want to I know what it means to mourn for my town, whether that's Sandy or South Jordan or West Valley. What does it mean for me to mourn for my town in a way that, that you bring comfort and that you lead me and guide me? Because... See, part of this is that he comforts, and as you mourn and get his perspective on it, God God calls us to turn and to change, and he gives us direction. When I mourn about my sin, he gives me the joy of repentance and new direction and new life. So I want to encourage you, um, as we we close this part, to really engage, because you're going to hear a couple of stories of people that are just in the middle of it. And they are... They're in the middle of it. And, and what I would really encourage you to do is not, 
not to simply just track with them, but track with them and then say, God, what does it look like to mourn in my life? A little bit later, Mike is going to kind of suggest what we do this week. How do we take mourning this week and say, Jesus, I want to mourn about the things that grieve your heart. And I want you to give me your perspective on that. And I want you to comfort me. So let's pray and then we're going to roll these, these videos. Jesus, we come before you and, and I'm grateful for your word. And as we talk about mourning, God, some of us are right now in the middle of mourning. Stuff going on in our lives. Stuff that's fallen apart. Relationships that have fallen apart because of our sin. Um, death that has happened. Lord God, as we come to you, would you give us comfort as we come to you with our mourning? Would you, would you speak through your word, through your Holy Spirit, to us that as we come to you, that you would comfort us and that next week as we return, that we would know you in a way that we, we don't know you now, that we would walk with you in a way deeper than we walk with you now. God, we thank you. We ask that you would lead us and take us in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Greg Benin. I grew up in Wisconsin and moved out to Utah about four years ago. Um, For work, I moved out here for construction. And I met Kristen Taylor in 2008. And she was part of the K2 church. She brought me to the church, and we volunteered here at the church watching the two-year-olds. And we continued to date and fell in love, and um, we got engaged. And March 10th was the day of the accident. March 11th, we were planning on getting married in Las Vegas. We were probably going about 30 miles an hour, and the roads were snow-packed, and it was blizzard conditions so you really couldn't see more than probably 50 feet in front of you. We got hit from behind by a semi-truck that was going too fast. I think he was going 62 miles an hour and she was killed immediately. uh, I looked over at Kristen and I could see her right hand and I could see her hair and that's about it. her hand was already, you know, discolored, and her hair actually like looked like it turned like a grayish color almost immediately, and basically, like she she wasn't recognizable. So I, I knew that she didn't really suffer at all. The truck was like right here, and my arm was hit by a truck, so. It was broken in probably five different places and I couldn't move my hand at all, so I was kind of just holding my left hand with my right hand so it wouldn't fall off. Um, After St. George, I don't remember much. After the surgery, um, yeah, it was difficult. You know, I thought about Kristen a lot, but I knew that, I knew that I had to get back, get my life back together, so. I grabbed a notepad and started writing with my right hand, <laughs> even though I'm a lefty, so 
Um, I had to eventually, you know, learn how to do everything with my right hand, so I just kind of combined the two and started writing about Kristen. My early conversations with God were, you know, why did this happen and why am I still here and why is Kristen gone? Uh, I kind of think that, you know, I, I'm still here for a reason and Kristen's in a better place, so it kind of makes me feel a little bit better about it. Just learn how to do things with with my right hand and uh, without, you know, a person you love next to you. It's kind of difficult. And it still is. <laughs> I am still here and why Kristen's gone and why, why God chose to keep me on earth. I'm still trying to figure out, I guess, uh, I have, you know, after, before the accident, I kind of thought, you know, money and power were important, you know, financially, like, the bigger your bank account, the more successful you are. And after the accident, it's kind of, like, reverse, I guess, so. I think what's brought me comfort is to know that, that, uh, Kristen's in, in heaven and in a better place with with Justin, her brother. And just knowing that I'll I'll join her someday up there. So just so thankful that I'm, I'm still here and still have the opportunity to enrich others' lives and continue to be part of K2 and help out whenever I can. And, and uh, Paul was upstairs, and I was trying to get the kids kind of settled in from coming back from school. And, and the phone rang, and it was her doctor. And I just, uh, I actually stepped outside into our garage just because I didn't want to be around the kids when I got the news of whatever it was. And I just remember uh, her doctor saying, you know, Eric, it's not good. Um, you know, there's a mass in her colon, there's lesions on her liver, um, and, uh, you know, it's cancer. I'll have to say from the, that from that morning, I know that God was carrying me through this from the, from the very moments before we even found out uh, what the, the, the diagnosis was. Just, I had such peace that God was just so totally surrounding me and covering me and protecting me um, and carrying me through this that um, I know that my reaction and my um, feelings and everything were so totally different than what Eric was experiencing. For me, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm her husband. You know, uh, I'm a dad. Uh, I'm a fixer, <laughs> um, and and I felt so out of control. And and like I'm supposed to, um, I'm supposed to protect my family. But I'll be honest with you, there were times, uh, you know, there was two weeks in particular during those first three months where I just got angry, <laughs> honestly, because I was so spent. 
Um, I just, emotionally, I had nothing left. Um, and and I, I would sit there, and I'm like, God, you're meeting Paula in such amazing ways. Um, and I just sit there, and you know, I listen to her talk about what she's experiencing that day or, or how God met her that day and what he's been showing her and teaching her. And I'm like, that's great. I'm so happy for you. And then there's a part of me that said, but God, what about me? You know, you know, God really revealed to me, you know, that, that I was making um, Paul and my kids idols um, and that they were, they were more important, you know, you know, and I was, you know, so the anxiety that I was feeling was because I was trying to be for them what only God could be. And so for me, I, that's been a big part of the journey um, is, is letting go um, of Paula and recognizing that um, she's a gift, um, but she's not mine. Um, and my kids are gifts, but they're not mine. Um, and, and as much as I love them um, and want to take care of them, that there are limits to what I can do. Um, and, and God loves them more, and, and He can do all the things that I can't and the things that I can even better. What was really difficult for me through all this, um, as far as Eric was concerned, was when I was feeling so strong um, and feeling like God was really carrying me through all this and protecting me and um, just leading me and, and carrying me through all this. And I was seeing how hurt and how kind of beaten down he was. Um, and I just I kept praying for him and praying with him and um, having other people to pray for him. And um, finally, I felt like God was saying, just give it to me. You can't do it. Only I can do it. And um, so that's what I had to do. I just had to just release him to God and just say, God, he is your son. And you love him more than I do. And you will take care of him. And you will see him through all this, um, however long it takes or, or whatever happens. And um, when I was able to release him um, and just give him to God and let God take care of him, that's when uh, I feel like things definitely started turning around, only for me, but for him too. Um, I, I kind of gave up the, the why question because I felt like all I was doing with it was just um, frustrating myself. Um, and, and I wasn't accomplishing anything good about, out of it. And so it became really a matter of saying, do I just trust God? I think one of the greatest things I'm learning through this is that, you know, God does give us comfort. And, um, and for me, the comfort has come through His Word uh, more than anything. You know, one of the scriptures I feel like God led me to was, was uh, 1 Peter uh, 2.24 where it says, that, you know, that, that he has borne our sins on, in his body on the cross, that we might be dead to sin and alive to, in Christ, and that by his stripes we are healed and made whole. And that word are just jumped at me. And it was like God just said, see, it doesn't say that you can be healed. It doesn't say that you will be healed. It doesn't say that you are in the process of being healed. It says you are healed by his stripes. And I just looked at Paul and I said, you know, we got to change the way we're praying. Um, we're not going to pray for God to heal Paula anymore, but we're going to pray thanking God that he has healed her. And I said, you know, it may take a while for the medical community to catch up with it because, again, you know, the medical community says they can't heal her. I said, but the beauty of that is that means that when she is healed, there's only one person that can get the glory for that, and that's Jesus. This is where I believe God answered the why question for us, for me anyway.
And in this scripture, it talks about Jesus and the disciples are going into the city and they see the man born blind and the disciples ask him, why is he blind? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus looks at him and says, it's not because of anybody's sin. This has happened that the power of God might be revealed through him. And when I read that, um, probably one of the clearest times I think I've ever heard God's voice. And it wasn't like I didn't like this audible voice, but just in my spirit, God just said, that's it. And it was just so abundantly clear that that God was just telling me, that's why you're going through this journey, that my power may be revealed.